Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of the brand new podcast, The Carolina Casuals. My name is Justin, and I am alongside my brother, Noah. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? And we are very excited. This has been being talked about for a long time between the two of us in terms of getting this started, and we are finally putting it all together and are very excited to bring this podcast to you. The basic outline for each week, we're going to focus on the sports teams in North and South Carolina, um, mainly the Carolina Panthers, um, along with Clemson and Duke and North Carolina and NC State and Wake Forest um, and South Carolina as well. But we're also going to end up, you know, we're, we're also going to talk about Appalachian State and East Carolina and Coastal Carolina, and as well as schools, even smaller schools like Furman. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, you know what happened in each of the weeks, in the, each of the games before, um, as well as do some preview of what big things are coming up for each of those teams. So it's, it's very, very exciting each week. We do not claim to be experts. We do not claim to be statisticians or analysts or have any sort of journalism or broadcasting background this is just two brothers who love sports and love watching sports particularly love watching football and wanted to provide a place where we can offer our thoughts from the perspective of the casual fan like most of us are and so that is what this podcast is going to be is us as casual fans sitting and talking about our favorite sport and our favorite teams. So with that being said, let's jump right in. We are recording this on August 9th. So football season has not yet started. The first preseason game for the NFL just happened about a week ago. So everything's just getting kicked off, but that does not mean we are short of storylines. And the big one right now in college football, not just for the Carolina schools, but across the entire country has been the conference realignment. This has been a big talking point now for several weeks. We've already seen several teams from the Pac-12 in particular over the last couple weeks begin to transition to the Big Ten or the Big 12. And as it currently stands today, the Pac-12 is now down to four teams. The Big Ten's up to 18 teams. The SEC is even about that same size. Uh, the ACC really hasn't been touched at all, and, and everybody's kind of stayed together. But there have been rumors, uh, particularly focusing in terms of the Carolina schools on the University of Clemson. There have been rumors, and this has been going on now for several months. Uh, there were originally rumors of Clemson – Clemson and Florida State and Miami and UNC might leave for the SEC. And the most recent one, of course, it's Florida State's unhappiness. Clemson's been tied into the rumors with that, that they may go to the Big Ten. Nobody really knows what's going to happen, but it feels like something will happen eventually. So, Noah, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. What... What do you think is the right choice here for Clemson? Should they stay? Should they go? Like, what do you, 
What are your thoughts on this? So I am a personal believer that I think both Clemson and Florida State, for that matter, I think Clemson should stay in the ACC because the, the big thing, if, if you look at what has been the, the main problem with the ACC schools, it's been about revenue sharing. Um, Clemson has not quite been as vocal, um, but if you look at what Florida State's complaint is, it's about revenue sharing. And based on context clues, one can only assume that that's probably what Clemson is fighting for as well. And so if Clemson and if Clemson decides, hey, we want to go to the Big Ten, because I know that was a short rumor for a little bit, you're going to go make it 19, 20 schools that you're sharing revenue with um, on top of now you're having to go out to the West Coast on top of sharing with 20 teams. I mean, I just, I don't know if the money that they're going to make on top of, there's the looming exit fee. For those that don't know, there's an exit fee to leave the ACC of, I want to say it's like 136 or $150 million because of the TV contract that the conference has. And so to me, there just doesn't seem to be financial incentive or worth it financially for Clemson to leave. Now, I claim to be no economist. I don't claim to have any inside information as to what Clemson's spending and what they're bringing in. But on the surface, it just seems to me, it seems more worth it to say. And same thing for the SEC. I, I don't think the revenue sharing is going to be that much better. Um, so yeah, I, I think Clemson overall is better served to just stay where they are and see what happens with all of this change because this is a lot of change that's going on well not even go from a competitive standpoint i mean i understand you know the allure of of playing in the sec where you get to play high level competition on a weekend week out basis because let's be honest the especially when it comes to football you know the acc has not notoriously been the strongest but this is more than just a football transition. I mean, this is the, the entire school leaving the ACC. So that's basketball, soccer, which are which the ACC, baseball as well, which are several sports that the ACC has been notoriously good for. Now, we, we all recognize football is the, the big one. But if you're Clemson in particular, you have the respect of the, of the national media. I mean, they get... Let's just, I mean, I I recognize as a Clemson fan that we will get maybe not as penalized as some other schools would for losing a game. And that's because we're Clemson and we've kind of established over the last 10 years or so that we have some staying power. You know, Florida State, when, when they started falling out, I mean, it took a couple years before they were finally pretty much permanently kicked out of the top 25. And now they're now that they're winning again. I mean, they're already what preseason ranked and looking like preseason top ten for this upcoming. At least, year. yeah, at least at, at the very minimum. So you know, Clemson's kind of in that same category where they've got a lot of staying power, even after the year where they had a terrible seat, like terrible start to the year. They clawed back in, and then they started, you know, preseason right at right in the top ten. And so, if you're Clemson, you don't necessarily need that from a standpoint of, of national attention and, and garnering some respect, obviously, you know, I, 
with a little bias, it's not any secret that I think the SEC sometimes gets a little extra staying power where you'll see four or five teams maybe around the top ten. And even the Big Ten, you know, you see Ohio State and Michigan up there. Penn State's always up there a bunch. and But, you know, Clemson's got similar staying power to those teams. So I don't know if it makes a ton of sense to leave it entirely for football. I think Clemson's already got a lot going for them being being who they are, mm-hmm. which – so I, I'm with you on this. I, I do think they should stay. I don't think it makes a ton of sense for them to leave. Obviously, money is a big part of this. So if they if they do decide to leave, I assume I know your answer to this, but where should they go? Well, they should go to the SEC. I just don't think the SEC will take them. But that's a side note. That's a conversation for another day. The reason the SEC makes the most sense is because South Carolina sits there. And now you make South Carolina now all of a sudden becomes a conference game. And regionally, it makes the most sense because now the furthest west you're having to travel, I believe, is going to be Oklahoma, although there might be some of the Texas schools that could still be farther west. But Texas saying and Oklahoma is the furthest west you have to travel. You go to the Big Ten, not only are you – like your, your farthest south game in the Big Ten is Maryland, unless you're then flying cross-country to play USC or UCLA. And so I think if they're going to leave, it's got to go – I think they got to go to the SEC. It's just – it, it doesn't make any sense to on top of the big Ten's already got 18 teams and who knows how many more they're going to get. So the sec, I think regionally competitively for Clemson. And I, I just, I think it makes the most sense for the sec. Yeah. This, this, that feels like a no brainer. If you're going to leave, you don't go to the big 10 right now. I think, I think the sec is the right choice for Clemson. And I think ultimately I, I hope this isn't where it's heading, but I, I do think there is a really strong reality where we we almost have like two like really large conferences in the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big Twelve. I, I really think the Big Twelve is going to end up staying together, but you know I think Clemson, I think the ACC. There's a really good reality where they end up kind of being split between those two conferences. Um, and we kind of start to see these these Carolina schools kind of go their separate ways. But, yeah, I, I, this feels feels like a really simple question, but obviously the uh, rules right now are, are Big Ten. And, and, and one other note, I was, I was talking, talking to somebody about this earlier. Um, you know, there's the reports, obviously, that the ACC is trying to get California and Stanford um, to come join the conference. But if you noticed in that report, for anybody that hasn't seen it yet, there's a third team in that mix, and that team was SMU. And when I heard that, my first question was, well, why is the ACC going for three teams? Are you going for an odd number? Well, there's one more piece to this puzzle that has to be remembered, and that is what would Clemson inf- what would Clemson do if Notre Dame decides to become a full-time member of the ACC? Do you think that would entice Clemson to stay? I I really don't. I I don't think I, I really don't think Notre Dame is would would change Clemson's mind about anything. 
I think Florida State would have more impact on Clemson's decision than than Notre Dame would. Not that I think Notre Dame is going to become a full time member of the ACC. I love have have you seen the memes where it's like one like it's like basically like a David and Goliath meme where it's like the Goliath is like this one giant mega conference of every team in the country. <laughs> There's just Notre Dame. Like I've, I've seen own. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've like, seen that. Notre Dame is not going to do it. Like we all know that. Right. And so, I, but even if they did, I don't see that really influencing Clemson's decision. I think Florida state would influence their decision more than Notre Dame. Yeah. But speaking of, Obviously, this has a lot more implications than just Clemson. The rest of the the North Carolina ACC schools could be really impacted if if something were to happen. If, you know, if Clemson and Florida State do end up leaving, maybe, you know, the reports are, of course, there have been talks about, as you mentioned, Cal and Stanford. Those, as of today, seem to have reportedly maybe stalled a little bit. But... If you're these North Carolina schools that are sitting in the ACC, Clemson and Florida State leave, that could end up being a domino effect. We've already seen schools like Syracuse and Pitt. They left the Big East to come to the ACC. You know, I could see them realistically. Like if if Clemson and Florida State jump ship, they may jump ship to the Big Ten. Dominoes could start to like start to fall. So if Clemson does go, Right, the ACC maybe starts shrinking. They don't get Cal Stanford. If you're Duke, if you're North Carolina, if you're NC State, if you're Wake Forest, do you maybe try and keep some semblance of the ACC together, or do you do you jump ship and go somewhere else? Well, I think the first call you make is you call the Big East and see if you can go join their basketball schools, especially if you're Duke and Carol and Duke and UNC, because <laughs> at that point. I mean, football, football feels the problem is if Clemson and Florida State leave the ACC, I I have a real concern that the ACC won't be able to recover because when it comes to football, as much as we all love basketball and all those things, football is the moneymaker. And if Clemson and Florida State leave, your name brands in the ACC basically are gone. As much as we talk about Miami, as much as we talk about Virginia Tech, they have not been able to retain consistency. And so... I don't know if the ACC heads toward Pac-12 territory immediately, but it would be hard for them, I feel like, to maintain at least the same notoriety. They could still have teams, but their notoriety for football would not be the same because they just wouldn't have the power anymore. I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. And I, I'm with you. If Clemson and Florida State jump ship and leave, I think the ACC is is – headed towards implosion um in which case if i'm duke north carolina nc state wake i mean kind of like with clemson i think the sec makes some sense but not necessarily like i think if you're unc i think the sec makes a lot of sense (laughs) i just i feel like unc would 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 slide in to the sec really well same thing with NC State, if we're being honest. I think NC State would also kind of slide into the SEC really well. But if Duke and, and Wake Forest, and maybe you feel differently about this than I do, but they feel more like they would fit in better in the Big Ten, 
Like, and I, that's kind of hard for me to say because I'd hate to like split up Duke and UNC like that, but I don't know. I feel like Duke overall fits better into the, into the big 10, especially from a basketball. I mean, Carolina from a basketball standpoint, I think the big 10 would be better, but I think football wise, they're overall better and, and good enough that they could, they could make it in the sec overall a little better, but Duke and Wake, I'm not sure the SEC would be a smart move. Yeah, yeah, I think the last point I think the last point to make on this is the hard thing, you know, you saw it when Oklahoma and Texas left, who got hung out to dry? Oklahoma State, because Oklahoma State was Oklahoma's other rival that Oklahoma said, We don't need you. We're gonna go to the SEC. Same thing happened with Washington State with Washington and Oregon with Oregon's or Oregon State with Oregon. Oregon and Washington chose each other. My feeling might be. It's a matter of does Duke get left out to dry or does NC State get left out to dry? Because UNC, if you look football-wise, I think most of your football fans and UNC and NC State fans, let me know if, if, if you disagree on this. I feel like it for football, there's more of a rivalry in terms of competitiveness among the fans and things like that and chippiness even among the players between Duke or between UNC and NC State than there is between Duke and UNC. Now, in basketball, it is unquestionably Duke and UNC. But it could be, like you said, it could be that UNC and NC State go to the SEC because from a football standpoint, that's more of the rivalry. And so it could be that Duke gets hung out to dry. And while I don't want to see that as a sports fan, there might be some others that find that enticing. It's going to be fascinating. I agree. There's a lot of hypotheticals still around it all, but obviously it it very much is going to be a situation of if one domino starts to fall, then the rest of them may go too. So I think it's going to be one of these things that this will not be the last time that we have this discussion this year because I think inevitably even sometime in the next couple of weeks there could be a decision made, and so – this will this will definitely not be the last time we talk about this, but definitely something to keep your eye on as a as a Carolina sports fan. Certainly. So and going in, so as we are all knowing, football season is on its way. We are just under a month out from the start of the regular season for the NFL. And it has been quite the busy offseason for the Panthers. One of the busiest offseasons I can remember. Uh, if we start, we go all the way back to January. You know, there was that whole talk: Do the Panther all are the Panthers going to retain Steve Wilkes? Are the Panthers going to go a different direction? The Panthers opted to go in a different direction and hire Frank Reich. Uh, for those who don't know, Frank Reich is actually the first coach in franchise history with an offensive background for a team whose offense really has been struggling the last several years. Uh, and Frank Reich hired a really good coaching staff alongside him. He got Thomas Brown, who was a former uh, offensive coach for the Rams, to be his offensive coordinator. The big hire was Ijero Ivero, who was one of the best defensive coordinators on the market coming from the Denver Broncos. Uh, Josh McCown was the quarterback coach. Former NFL coach Jim Caldwell was an assistant coach, along with Deuce Staley for another assistant coach. James Campen and Chris Tabor uh, for offensive line and special teams, respectively. Um, what were your thoughts, Justin, on this coaching staff? I mean, we were—we I remember us talking about what we should do 
with the coaching staff. And now as we've gone almost a couple weeks out, what are you, what are your feelings on this coaching staff? I think the gut reaction when everything first went down was I think a lot of people really wanted to see Wilkes stick around. And I don't think a lot of people would have been upset if he did. Um, but I think that the general consensus was if you weren't going to go with Wilkes, I think Reich was definitely the correct way to go for a lot of reasons. I think, his history with the team obviously played a big role in it. If you don't know, Frank Reich is the first starting quarterback in franchise history. He threw the first passing touchdown for the Panthers when they were first around in 1995. So there's a lot of history. He's familiar with the area. They still have roots in Charlotte. There, It made sense for both parties to go with Reich, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But the staff that they were able to – to put together the one that really surprised obviously I'll start with I think what my favorite thing was was actually not anybody they hired the fact that they kept camping and Tabor which mm-hmm. our offensive line last year was you know aside from suspect quarterback play you know you said that our offense was struggling that's generous it is generous to say that our offense was struggling no our offense was if you looked up the word struggle in the dictionary the Panthers offense for the last five years shows up. Like it's, it's not been good. I just put it the way it is, but our offensive line last year was maybe the best it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Debatably, at least the best since we made it to the Super Bowl. And, you know, our special teams last year was one of the highlight pieces that kind of kept us in games. And so you, to keep those two coaches, I thought was a big thing. But then to get Avero as your defensive coordinator, I mean, that was the fact that he ended up not getting it, not going for a head coaching job blew my mind. Like he's definitely like we probably there's a good chance we only have him for a year. Yeah. And rightfully so, because he will probably be a head coach in the league. But that was a fantastic hire. You know, I I do applaud the front office for getting the staff that on paper has been lauded by the national media and has gotten a lot of attention. And, you know, obviously we'll have to see what, what happens, but, I mean, you can't really complain looking at the coaching staff what they've done. Yeah, I agree. I remember I remember when we were going over the coaching staff hires and I was one that I would have been happy for Steve Wilkes to stay because the one thing I noticed was he I mean, he had the middle of the season. There was just that little bit of getting used to stage, but we had that game where we absolutely demolished the Buccaneers at home, which nobody expected. But then the end of the year, you saw that these players were believing they were believing like all the players were believing in Steve Wilkes and he had that locker room. And um, I remember I was a little bit sad and a little bit uncertain about Frank Reich at first, but then I saw the tweet about how he was the first offensive-minded head coach we'd ever hired, for one thing. That is then, wild. That is so, I was say, and, like... And we've, we've only been... The franchise has only been around for, what, this is all, coming up on 28 years, 29 years? Around and, that, yeah. But and it's so bizarre to think that every coach we've hired has had a defensive background. But the other thing, and you you touched on this, I remember seeing the tweets from 
former players, national media, and I think even I think a couple of current players saying, you know, how they hated it that Wilkes didn't get the job, but immediately followed it up by saying Carolina got a great coach in, in Frank Reich. And I was like, it really helped me instill some belief. Like I said, and then I go watch the guys he hired. Um, Ejero Vero, I agree, was a huge hire. But just getting, you know, Matt Rule, we were getting a guy who had never coached on the NFL level before. And it showed because he, I now I'm a believer. I think he can do well. He can do well in college again, but he like Nick Saban was not ready for the NFL. He, like Urban Meyer, was not ready for the NFL. Um, But he's got Frank Reich, who's a former NFL coach, getting Jim Caldwell there, who's been a former NFL head coach, took the Lions into the playoffs a couple times, you know, getting some real veteran voices in that room. That's what I love. There's some veteran voices. Um, But along with, like I said, getting Thomas Brown his shot, the Rams had had, have had good offenses for a while, um, like I said, getting Avero, which was the bright spot on a Broncos team, was an absolute slam dunk of a hire. So even for the initial skepticism, I look back and I say I applaud the front office for the things that they have done. We move a little bit forward in the offseason uh, to the free agent signings, which, again, this was one of the more active free agent signings that I've seen, even in a year where there's not a lot of big names in March. Um, but the Panthers were very active in free agency, signing um, many playmakers on offense, including DJ Chark from the Lions uh, at wide receiver, Adam Thielen, wide receiver from the Minnesota Vikings, Miles Sanders, the running back from the Philadelphia Eagles, and Hayden Hurst, the tight end from the Cincinnati Bengals. Those highlighted, um, they highlighted the free agent class. But then also recently, I wanted to note, Two signings that might have flown a little bit under the radar for some Panthers fans. We signed former uh, Falcons linebacker Deion Jones, um, as well as the pro, the former Pro Bowl edge rusher Justin Houston um, to bolster up the defense as well. So, Justin, of all the free agents, what, what's been your favorite free agent signing of the offseason? There's been a lot of good ones, and it's hard to just narrow it down to just one, but I do think my favorite thus far, if I have to pick one, would be Hayden Hurst. For no other reason than the idea of having a pass-catching tight end is so wonderful because I love Ian Thomas and I love Tommy Trimble, but pass-catching is not necessarily their forte. They are tremendous blockers, great extra offensive linemen. We've seen Tremble be able to do a little bit catching the ball. You know, this past year he caught several big important passes for us, uh, especially against um, the Bucks there at the end of the year, which we did end up losing that game. But but Tremble had some nice catches in there. But he's still a blocker. He's one of the better blocking tight ends, I think, in the league. So to have a guy in Hayden Hurst who has made his living catching passes, kind of became Burrow's security blanket in Cincinnati last season, had a nice little stint as a backup to Mark Andrews, been with Atlanta for a little bit where he originally got drafted. I just feel like for all the things that our offense needed, that was maybe the most glaring one because we have not had anybody come remotely close to replacing what Greg Olson meant to this franchise. 
So to have Hayden Hurst there, I just I felt like that was if we left the offseason where we signed nobody, but we signed a tight end, I would have called that a successful offseason. Yeah, I would agree. Hayden Hayden Hurst was such a really good signing. Um I really liked um both our wide receiver signings. Um and the reason was is it, it gave us some depth and a little bit of variance. Um for a while we had DJ Moore which we'll get to in a minute. But we had DJ Moore and that was it. There wasn't really a consistent threat to catch the pass beyond him. But now when we have DJ Chark and Adam Thielen to add with Terrace Marshall and LaVisca Chenault, um, you know, and some other guys there too, it, it gives us, I liked that we took the depth at receiver. And yeah, you know, Adam Thielen might be a little bit past his prime, but he could also be another security blanket um, for um, the quarterback as, you know, kind of like he was, he was the nice component to what Stefan Diggs did for a while in Minnesota and what Justin Jefferson was doing. Um, and then he could maybe be that way for DJ Chark, who's much more of a speedster. So I think the depth at wide receiver mainly was my favorite, was one of my other favorite moves. Um, and not to leave him out to drive, Miles Sanders getting a, getting almost kind of a combination of the last two running backs we've had, someone who can pound the ball up the middle like Deontay Foreman did, but also catch some passes out of the backfield like Christian McCaffrey could. Um, so just not to leave Miles Sanders out to drive, but I think overall the two receivers and getting depth at that position was a huge move this offseason. Yeah, this current receiving core kind of reminds me of a little bit of the the receiving core that went to the Super Bowl in 2015. It didn't necessarily have a number one, but you know, that team had a deep threat. Ted Ginn had a sure-handed guy with with cotchery. Uh, you know, obviously Be- Kelvin Benjamin was was injured that year, so we didn't have him most of the year. Like Chark and Thielen kind of remind me a little bit of that like Ted Ginn, Jericho Cotchery combination that was kind of the the headline, you know, and then Devin Funches, you know, with Terrace Marshall kind of being the big body target in the red zone, you know, I guess the, the, the difference is like, do we have somebody kind of, you know, Greg Olson was the number one receiver on that team. You know, do we have somebody that kind of becomes the number one option uh, now that, that DJ Moore is, is gone, but you know, so that'll be interesting to watch. And, and before we move on, I would just like to mention, because I do think it was a really good signing, but Von Bell, Oh, yes, Von Bell. What a great – I mean, there were both Cincinnati Bengals safeties, and obviously Jesse Bates ended up in Atlanta for a whole lot of money. But to get Von Bell, who's a very quality safety, frees up Jeremy Chin to kind of move a little closer to the line of scrimmage where I think he's a little bit better, that was a great signing. I loved that one. But like I said, the tight end signing was just – I couldn't ignore that because we really needed him a pass catching tight end. Yeah. And it kind of helps, it kind of helps bolster our secondary depth because I just can't get the image out of my head of watching Mike Evans running past our third and fourth (laughs) string corners in that game with the playoffs on the line. And just, we were so injured, but now we've got two safeties in the back that can allow Jeremy chin to play in the middle with, I mean, you look at the defensive front right now, you can have Brian Burns and Justin Houston off the edge. And again, Justin Houston's another guy who might be past his prime, but he could still make an impact. 
Uh, Deion Jones, I don't believe it. I think Deion Jones is a quality signing and he can help Frankie Louvu. Frankie Louvu might be rushing off the edge a little more now, but having Deion Jones and Frankie Louvu in coverage in on some plays, but then putting Jeremy Chin in the box where he was so good as a rookie alongside that, the defense, if they can stay healthy, especially at corner, if they can stay healthy with all these moves, the defense they can be top can, five in the league. I, I, I agree. Do and, believe that. And, if they're and, healthy. If they're healthy. If if they can stay healthy. And with, as we're going to transition here now, with our new rookie quarterback, that top five defense can be essential. Um, so as you as I'm sure many Panthers fans know, uh, back in March, right before free agency started, we made the blockbuster trade to send DJ Moore and a, and a first round pick and a second round pick, as well as the number nine overall pick this year to the Chicago Bears for the number one overall pick trading up eight spots. And there was debate for the whole, from ever since that point, there was debate. Is it going to be Bryce Young? Is it going to be CJ Stroud? Uh, Anthony Richardson snuck in there for a little bit. Will Levis maybe for like a day was considered, uh, but mainly the focus was on Bryce Young versus CJ Stroud. The Panthers on draft day ended up settling on Bryce Young, taking him at the number one overall pick. Um, but then all their draft picks that day, you got Bryce was the highlight, but the other picks that day include Jonathan Mingo, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss in the second round, uh, trading up in the third round to take defensive end DJ Johnson out of Oregon, uh, Chandler Zavala in the fourth round, the, a guard out of NC State, and our fifth round pick James Robinson, another safety out of Florida State. So when you see all of this, Justin, when you see all the free agent signings, all the things we were able to do in the draft, because we initially had the number nine pick and two second round picks. And we ended up giving up our first round pick next year, going higher on the number one overall pick and losing a second round pick. But when you look at everything we were able to do, even clearing up DJ's cap space, was trading DJ Moore for the number one pick, was it worth it? It was hard. You know, it's as Panthers fans, we we got put through a lot this year. We watched the face of the franchise get traded to San Francisco. And then we watched the next guy in line get traded to Chicago and DJ Moore. And I love DJ Moore. I, I've said for a number of years now that I felt like DJ Moore was probably the most underrated receiver in football. The fact that he put up the numbers he did on a team that was quite frankly terrible and had horrible quarterback play, the fact that he did what he did was, I think, beyond incredible. Mm -hmm. And so to to lose a guy like that is, is really, really hard. Now, I guess the the flip side of that is you don't necessarily have to give up another first-round pick because of that. So rather than having two years without a first-round pick, we we only have one year without one. And and it and it's hard. And that and I'm not going to sit here and say that 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 void is going to be easy to fill at receiver. DJ Moore was was special, but I think ultimately you look at a guy like Bryce Young who's sitting up there. You know, there's not, you know, I, something interesting that I saw, you know, 
the Panthers had not had any less than six win. Or, you know, we haven't been inside the top five draft picks since we had the number one overall pick when we took Cam Newton. So, you know, we hadn't had less than, you know, we've had less than six wins, I think, twice in the last 12 years, which both came under rule. And so we, we even if we didn't take quarterback this year, we wouldn't necessarily be bad enough for the next year. And, you know, were the would, would anybody else have been trading that year? You just never know. And the opportunity was there this year. You got a guy like Bryce Young, who I'm a, I'm not an Alabama fan. I do not like Alabama. I don't pull for them in any capacity, but I loved Bryce Young. He was incredible. I thought he did so much for that team this year. So for me, that was a guy that I, I felt like he was more than worth trading up for to be able to get. I think ultimately, I think it'll I think it's worth it. I think it's hard to watch DJ leave, to watch McCaffrey leave, but obviously McCaffrey was a completely different trade. But I think ultimately having Bryce from everything that I've heard thus far, I think it I think it was the right move. So I would first like to say my sincerest thank yous to the Houston Texans. Uh, for beating the Indianapolis Colts in week 18 back in January. Davis Mills um, is a real one. Because it was that it up. was it was that reason that it allowed the Chicago Bears to have the number one overall pick instead of the Houston Texans. And if the Houston Texans got the number one overall pick, Bryce Young is not in a Panthers jersey today. So I said I'm gonna be sending a gift basket of thank you letters from all Panthers fans to the Houston Texans. Um as a huge thank you for winning that game for us. Now, back to the question at hand. When I first saw the trade, I was very unsure. I was like, what are we doing? Why are we giving up DJ Moore? And then a week later, I saw our free agency, and I'm like, I see why we did it. Because DJ Moore's cap hit allowed us to now sign DJ Chark, Adam Thielen, all these guys. You know, you, you talked about Bryce Young earlier. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, I, I you said I was being a little bit under, a little bit generous about um, how bad our offense was, has been for the last five years. I think you might be a little bit understating what Bryce Young did for Alabama, because especially his second year, Bryce Young put Alabama on his back and carried them to 11 wins. I remember watching about four or five Alabama games that Bryce Young either won or put them in position to win and the defense lost it. And it's those types of quarterbacks that I tend to see like coming into the NFL and I think tend to have the most success in the NFL are the guys that you can look at and say, wow, they are the reason that team is good. Now, that's not to say that C.J. Stroud wasn't a huge reason why Ohio State went to the college football playoff or that, you know, who knows, maybe Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are the reason that Florida and Kentucky won six or seven games instead of three or four games. But Bryce Young to be able to trade up um, and really only give up one additional first-round pick and a receiver that we were able to reset um, and get a guy in the draft who is a great leader already, it seems, an incredible person, um, 
I definitely think it was worth it. And then adding another receiver in Jonathan Mingo um, with that second second overall pick, he, he could end up being our wide receiver one in the future. Um, and so I think when you look at it, it, I think the DJ Moore trade absolutely was worth it. Thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of Carolina Casuals. We hope you will give us a follow on wherever you get your podcasts from, whether it be Spotify or Google Podcasts. I also hope you'll take a, a moment while you're there to follow us on our social medias, including our Instagram and our Facebook page, which are linked below. Go ahead and give us a follow so that way you can stay up to date on the latest information as it regards to this podcast. But this has been the first episode of the Carolina Casuals. We hope you enjoyed, and thank you so much for listening. I am Justin. He is Noah, and we will see you on the next episode of the Carolina Casuals. Thank you again. Have a great one.